five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. Hi, I'm Mark Boucher, and this is the SpaceQ Podcast. Canadian space startups are starting to gain more attention as venture capital in and out of Canada take notice. Case in point, Skywatch, which announced at the start of the year it had closed a Series A round of financing valued at US $7.5 million, or Canadian $10 million. My guest today is James Sleaford, the CEO of Skywatch. Sleafords and his colleagues' original idea of aggregating open-source satellite data from NASA observatories won them the global prize in NASA's Space Apps Challenge in 2014. The company has since pivoted, focusing on open-source and commercial Earth observation data. Sleafords estimates there are about 375 active Earth observation satellites, of which his company is already getting data from 225 of them. If data is the new oil, is Skywatch a potential unicorn? By the way, a unicorn is a privately held company, or startup company, valued at over a billion dollars. Listen in to my conversation with James Sleaford. Welcome back, James, to the SpaceQ Podcast. Thanks for having me, Mark. So you started this year with a bang and announced you had raised U.S. $7.5 million, Canadian $10 million approximately, led by Bolpin Capital. So let's start there. How long had you been working to close your Series A, and how did Bolpin Capital come to be the lead on this round? Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's a good question. So we worked on our... Uh, Series A, primarily in Q3 of, uh, of last year, eventually closing it in uh, in the middle of Q4 uh, of last year. And um, interestingly enough, it, it, it was prolonged a bit because I had my my Dora and I had our second child in August, um, right in the, the middle of it. Uh, we we ended up having uh, bullpen lead our uh, our financing. It was after speaking to. Um, a few dozen venture firms, and coming to the realization that the kind of partner that we wanted at the at the table, the kind of venture firm that we wanted backing us, was a firm that had a lot of experience um, building and scaling enterprise software and data infrastructure companies. And if you look at the the venture partners around the table, there, um, there you can count on two hands how many. Uh, IPOs they have in the enterprise space, um, having built uh, having built these companies themselves. So, uh, you know, us we feel pretty content knowing the space industry. We didn't feel like that was a prerequisite for a, 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 an investor to come in and provide us with. We, we feel like we, we can handle that pretty well. We were primarily interested in somebody who can help us scale a world class enterprise business, and uh, I think that's the um, the experience that we've been able to bring in with bullpen capital. Now, I noticed when you made the announcement, you've got some other new investors along with some returning ones. Uh, in fact, you had at least six other investors. So why so many for the Series A? So we had uh, we actually only had one other investor um, that is new, and that's, the, that's BDC Capital here in Canada. 
um, we had a lot of new investors that wanted access, but we 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 wanted to we wanted to simplify how many new investors we brought into the table. Uh, the other investors that you see there um, are all returning investors: Space Capital, Golden Ventures, TechStars Ventures, SK Ventures. Uh, these are all uh, venture firms that had supported us in our early days and continue to support us today. So, um, you know, just a, a quick little background on venture investing when you go through these rounds. Uh, any of your previous investors, if they've invested a, a sizable amount of money into your company, they always have what are called pro rata rights, which means they have the ability to invest in subsequent financing rounds so that they can maintain their ownership in your company. And so, uh, to, to, to finalize that, this, this financing round, we have two new investor, uh, investment firms, Bullpen Capital and BDC Capital, and then we have uh, pretty much every investor coming back in and, and, and continuing to support us. Now, I know you just closed your Series A and you're going to be uh, you know, working diligently with some new products, which we'll get to in a second, uh, but... Uh, have you thought at all down the road how you're going to uh, raise more funds? Are you actually going to do a Series B at some point? Uh, is that is that something that's you know you're even considering at this point? Uh, I think when you go through the venture uh, the venture raising uh, cycle, or I guess when you decide to become a, a company that accepts venture capital, you're always thinking about uh, what are the milestones you have to get to in order to raise another series of financing if that is required. One of the things we did with our Series A financing is we raised enough money to build a profitable business and to at least become cash flow even if we decide that that's something we want to do. Um, But those decisions, I mean, you make those decisions as a company based on how fast you think you need to move and what areas you need to invest in in order to continue to move quickly and to continue to grow your top line. And so um, what I'll say is we do know what we need to do to get to the next financing. There is likely another financing, but we've also raised enough money to, to put ourselves in a position where we, where we can comfortably make that decision and not feel like we have to be forced to make that decision. All right. So, and without getting into the specifics of the new products, um, what are you going to do with the funds? <laughs> so, uh, you know, what we did with our seed capital was we largely built um, our technology platform. Uh, you know, we, we built Earth Cash. Um, we validated it in the market. And the purpose of our Series A financing is now to scale our market share. Uh, and so that's going to involve bringing in um, product management into the business, bringing in account executives, bringing in sales reps, and bringing in um, experienced folks who can do international business development. I would say that's, a, that's going to be a large part of our, our focus now because, um, as, as I said, this capital is really about uh, enabling the company to scale and at a quick pace. All right. Uh, two years ago, you announced your first raise, and that was the last time we had you on for a full podcast. Uh, your seed round was $4 million at the uh, $4 million. At the time, you were already developing Earth Cash as your first product. Uh, how has that product evolved over the two years? Uh, we learned a lot. Um, I think it's always uh, what is probably not as well known is when we started building an API for commercial satellite imagery, there was actually no such thing in the world as programmatically available commercial satellite imagery. 
most imagery, uh, if not all imagery, was still sold over the phone or through, through email. And so we spent a lot of time working with our, our data partners who are you know, satellite operators that are capturing this data to automate a lot of the image processing involved in getting data from a ground station out to uh, an API endpoint. Uh, and just to back up, you know, to give it just a quick brief on what EarthCache is, it is an API uh, for satellite imagery. An API is an application programming interface. It's a piece of software that allows another piece of software, a third-party piece of software, to talk to it. Um, and so we build an API. This API enables um, application developers of all types and from, and from industries of all types to in easily integrate commercial satellite data into their software. And so now going back to what I was saying, when we started, there was no such thing as commercially accessible satellite imagery. We work with all of our partners to really figure out this problem. How do we get uh, someone's request, someone's imagery request, up to that satellite to be captured? And then how do we capture it and bring it back to the customer in a fully automated, fully programmatic way? And that involved a lot of innovation um, in image processing, in tasking automation, in workflow automation. Um, and, and all the while ensuring that we were complying with any, uh, any required regulations. So um, that, that's sort of what we learned a lot over the last two to three years. It really put us in a position where um, we understood the market for satellite imagery and the capabilities and what the future of satellite imagery was and is going to be uh, better than, than anybody else. And then we started to commercialize the technology. We brought on uh, our first customers and our first customer, I should say, in late 2018, and we worked with them in, a, in what I would consider to be a production environment, meaning that they were using our technology in their own operations, so no longer as a prototype. And we, we worked with them for about four or five months to ensure that uh, things were stable and we were confident with the direction the technology was headed. And then we began to, in, in April, of uh, last year, 2019, we began to really scale up our customer base to the point where we're approaching uh, 100 customers on the platform right now, growing at a rate of eight to 10 customers per, per month uh, that are building applications utilizing commercial satellite imagery. Uh, and so, you know, the, the goal, and, and that eight to 10 new customers a month, that's really a, a, simply a limitation of resources on our end. So this is the point of the, the Series A financing. We wanna be able to scale that up to, to having you know 40 to 50 new customers a, a month because we certainly have the, the sales pipeline to do it uh, and and now we have the, the the capital resources to 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 capture that now how many data sources does earth cash use now uh, we have there's you know it, it's, it's really hard to keep track of how many imaging satellites there are um, in the planet because it, it you know some so many decommissioned and then are launched now on a weekly basis uh, that it's, uh, it's, it's actually an exercise not worth, uh, not worth going through. But to estimate, there's about 350 to 375 active uh, imaging satellites in orbit at, uh, at this period of time. And we have uh, about 225 of them uh, represented on our platform. So these represent, uh, we provide satellite imagery from commercial companies, uh, as well as uh, uh, data and imagery that is captured from the World Space Agencies, which tends to be 
uh, free and open data. So we provide we provide both, and we uh, started our business largely focused on uh, high resolution optical imagery, so true color imagery, and uh, we, we've now expanded to uh, medium resolution, low resolution uh, in the optical range, and uh, just recently began making synthetic aperture radar, or otherwise known as SAR. Uh, imagery available through the platform as well. And that SAR data, is that coming, is that the, some of the open source stuff from uh, RCM? Is that available yet to you? Uh, RCM, not yet, although we look forward to, and I, I think um, no promises, but it would be, I think, a goal of ours internally to have RCM on at some point this year. Uh, we, we have worked with uh, the Canadian Space Agency um, on their RCM data, um, and prior to them actually launching and commissioning the, the constellation, uh, but we, we do have the you know previous radar set uh, satellites available on our platform, as well as uh, uh, Sentinel One, which is uh, from ESA. Uh, dare I ask, are you working or trying to work with ISI? Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I'll just briefly, yes. To what extent, in the details. Um, not uh, not uh, not up for for discussion yet. All right. So optical synthetic aperture radar. Are you planning on adding any other types of data sources down the road? Absolutely. I mean, we care about being able to to aggregate and provide access to data sets across the electromagnetic spectrum. So whether that is optical or you know more interestingly, there's a number of sensors that are going to go up that are going to be in the infrared range. Um, we're interested in hyperspectral opportunities, um, more, more types of synthetic aperture radar, uh, more types of uh, atmospheric monitoring. Um, and we're also, you know, we're, and then we're excited for, for technologies that haven't been commercialized yet, but have been uh, theoretically proven to work by, by, uh, by agencies like NASA, um, technologies like LIDAR. Uh, from space, which we find to be extremely interesting and opens up a, a whole other um, uh, ocean of possibilities. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we are not, uh, long term, we're not discriminatory towards any particular data type. Um, this is sort of the optical is where we've started and we'll continue to branch as, as, wide, as wide as we can, uh, as fast of a rate as, as we can. All right. So at the same time as announcing your new funding, you also public, publicly announced a new service called TerraStream. I understand you had already launched it quietly. Can you tell me what the new service is and why it's important? Absolutely. I think this is one of the most important products that we could possibly bring to market uh, this decade. It's, um, you know, it, it, it was actually born out of some of the frustrations we had in trying to build integrations and build capabilities with our, our data providers. At the end of the day, satellite operators and those that are launching uh, satellites um, are not, their core competency isn't in building large scale data systems and um, infrastructures and interfaces that, that are used and sold to uh, the enterprise, or at least to the, the application developer community. And uh, we also realized that a lot of our partners that we were working with and a lot of uh, startups that we were talking to that wanted to uh, launch satellites were budgeting uh, tens of millions of dollars to build the exact same capability. And so we realized, you know, as a, as 
you know, in our position, we realized that if you wanted to be a modern Earth observation company, building a data platform or at least having a data platform and a data distribution capability is going to be table stakes, right? Which means that there's no, there's no competitive differentiation between them. It's just something now that you have to do to go to market. And so we saw an opportunity to completely eliminate those costs for our data operators by building it ourselves and then providing it to them up front for free and then only making a fee once they're commercially operating. Um, the, the value of this is, is incredible. It's, um, you know, when we think about going to market, um, we use this term in business, it's called undifferentiated heavy lifting. Undifferentiated heavy lifting is the, is the, the very difficult and expensive things you have to do to get your product to market. And if you can, but they provide no competitive differentiation. So an example uh, I could give that, or an analogy I can give uh, for our company would be that Skywatch wouldn't have been possible, you know, 10 to 15 years ago, because the cost of having to build a server farm would have been such a large obstacle in getting to market that we wouldn't have been able to, to, to overcome. And then, you know, the rise of cloud computing is really this, the rise of these companies seeing an opportunity in removing that cost, that barrier to entry for companies so that they can turn what would have been a, a, a capital fixed cost into an operational variable cost, which is extremely important for blocking down barriers and growing markets. And so that's what we're doing with Terrastream and, and selling it to uh, satellite operators, uh, satellite manufacturers, uh, anybody that wants to put a sensor into space, we're going to give them TerraStream as a world-class solution to, to uh, manage, secure, and distribute their data to the world. And by doing that, we're going we're to eliminate so much of the expense and so much of the cost and so much of the difficulty our data partners have in building a successful satellite company. Uh, and so, yeah, we're really excited. We've been working on this for, for about 18 months now. And um, we're, we're excited to, uh, we're, not, we're not announcing any partners yet, but I think by the end of the year, we'll, our, our goal is to, to announce a, a number of them and across uh, different, uh, different uh, I would say different company types, you know, not just satellite operators. You'll be interested to find out the, the breadth of companies that we're working with uh, on TerraStream. So we'll have to have another conversation when, when we start talking more about that. But nonetheless, we're really excited about, uh, about this product. So you just answered my next question was, do you have any customers for TerraStream and would you be willing to tell me about them? But we'll leave that for, 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 the, for the next podcast. But it's interesting what you say because, so if I understand this correctly now, uh, I'm, uh, let's say, a student. Uh, wherever, whatever university, I have an idea for a satellite sensor that's going to collect some data that's going to be, you know, really uh, useful. Uh, and maybe nobody else is, is doing this, or maybe I've just got a better idea for a sensor. I can now go to, let's say, as an example, to a company like Rocket Lab and say, uh, you've got, you can give me a dedicated small sat launch for uh, a good price. Oh, and by the way, you now have your own service where you're actually going to build me a, a satellite and I just have to work with you to integrate my sensor. And now, if I want to, I can now go to Skywatch and say, okay, my sensor is on the satellite and it's in space because of Rocket Lab and I saved a lot of money because I didn't have to do some of those things 
things. Now you're going to be able to take that data, bring it down, make it available to customers and have all that infrastructure. Am I understanding this, that this is a new, par- a, a new paradigm for a, doing business? It is a full turnkey solution on the ground. Absolutely. You're going you're gonna to create a Terrastream account and you're going to have your own data infrastructure available to you, just as if you were to create your own AWS account. And uh, we're working with the launch providers. We are working with um, the uh, the ground segment companies, those that are that are actually on the downlinking uh, in the downlinking value stream. We're building integrations with them pretty aggressively right now. Um, and so, yeah, that is a really good use case and a, and a really good example. Um, the way we've we've kind of been looking at space over the last few years, and one of the trends that we noticed, which we think. Uh, that is happening in space that we think uh, TerraStream fits really well into is what I would call the sort of the the evolution of this uh, turnkey upstream solution that's evolving in space. To your point, um, there are providers like Rocket Lab, but, you know, another one, uh, Loft Orbital would be an example of this. Uh, Open Cosmos in the UK would be another example of this where they're, they're providing a value proposition to anybody that wants to get something into space. And they're promising to do the manufacturing, to do the assembly, to get your licensing and to provide you a launch provider. Um, and then they'll do, they'll do, they'll provide a turnkey solution for getting you into space. And then they'll hand the keys over for you, to you to, to operate. And some of them, some of those companies are even beginning to offer the operations themselves. And so you now have uh, a space ecosystem evolving where it's, it's, it's becoming uh, uh, so simple to get into space. However, getting your data to customers and getting it to market, the downstream is still a very complex manual process. And so we're, we're, we're combining now our full turnkey downstream solution with those full turnkey upstream solutions. And I, I think you're, what you're seeing now today, the beginning of, and what I hope will mature over the next three to five years, is this evolution of this full turnkey solution of utilizing space to, to do whatever work or, or capture whatever data you need here on Earth. Uh, it's, it's an exciting future, and it's, it's sort of the one one of the visions of, of the space ecosystem that, that really motivates me every day. Now, I'm curious. The last time we actually saw each other in person was about 15 months ago at a conference. And it was right at the same time that Amazon uh, as it just announced that its Amazon Web Services was la- launching its ground station product. Now, you said that TerraStream, you guys have been working on it for 18 months, right? So... Mm-hmm. Um, was did TerraStream become more of a reality uh, because, uh, or in part, I should say, as a result of Amazon making that announcement? Because I know you were really excited at the time uh, about the the ground station product. I'll, I'll say this: um, the short answer is is not exactly. We were going to build TerraStream um, regardless of if. Uh, AWS Ground Station was announced. Now we, now, we did have a lot of key insights. We do work closely with the AWS team on a number of their, their products that they launched that are specifically geared towards helping uh, geospatial and the, the space ecosystem. Um, but we, we were, our, our approach was, was to begin integrating with third-party um, ground segment providers. Um, and uh, the, the, the truth of the matter is the announcement of AWS uh, Ground Station is just simply going to make our lives easier because we're built on AWS. So it was just, it was, I wouldn't say icing on the cake, 
but it was certainly a very welcome product announcement uh, because it's very easy for us to integrate and has been very easy for us to integrate AWS Ground Station into our offering and into our, our TerraStream products. All right. Now, switching gears a little bit, uh, probably less known, but in my opinion, important. Last summer, you were awarded your first Canadian government contract through the Innovative Solutions Canada program. Uh, the contract was a result of you being selected by the Canadian Space Agency for their artificial intelligence and big data analytics for advanced autonomous space systems challenge. Um, you have till May 31st to, to do the work. So tell me a little bit about the work, what the contract entails, and how does it fit into your overall uh, plans? So um, the automation of, I think, space assets and the utilization, the automating of the utilization of those space assets, I believe is one of the most important software problems we need to solve as an industry moving forward. The reason being is the, the increase, the dramatic, if not exponential increase in the number of satellites in orbit um, comes, what comes with that is a dramatic uh, and exponential increase in the complexity of managing those assets um, and utilizing those assets as well. And there's no company I think that knows this better, this problem better than Planet, um, having launched uh, you know over 200 satellites now to date. It's, it's an extremely difficult problem. Now, from our perspective, you know one of the things we have to figure out as a company that is integrating with as many satellite operators and as many satellites as possible is we have to figure out when somebody makes an API request into our system, how do we know and how do we figure out what is the best satellite in order to capture that opportunity? And you know, traditionally, it's been done manually um, in, in very high touch ways, usually using things like uh, feasibility studies. But um, the future is, is really just full automation. And so we've been spending a lot of time developing internally our own uh, algorithms to help us figure out how we can optimize which satellites capture what opportunity. And we've seen an interest in having this solution. Um, we've seen interest in this solution from uh, companies and space agencies all around the world. Uh, I think it's a it's a problem that, that many who, who have who plan on launching many satellites realize are going to come up against, and so we're we're excited to to, to work on uh, this particular problem because it not only solves a need that we have internally, um, but it also can solve a lot of uh, the needs of a lot of uh, potential customers and a lot of potential space agencies. Essentially, any. Uh, company or, or entity that is going to launch um, a, a large amount of, of satellites and they need to be able to maintain, monitor, and utilize those those assets. So that, that was sort of our interest in the engagement with, uh, with the CSA, and I probably think uh, vice versa as well. I think as the CSA um, looks to develop more Earth observation capabilities, and they've already added a few to their, their portfolio, you know, this year, earlier this year, or sorry, I guess it was, it was last year. Well, time's flying. Uh, RCM was added to their portfolio last year. The, um, the, the need for them to think about, you know, so one example they, they like to give is what happens if you have 
if there is a, um, a natural disaster emerging or maybe even a national security threat emerging somewhere within our borders, how do they know which satellite to utilize to capture that? And which, um, and, and when is it going to capture it? And some of the details even around, like, what is the weather going to be when those satellites go overhead? Or what is the, um, what is the, uh, the capture angle going to be? Or what are the, the, the specs of the sensor that's on that spacecraft? All of these questions are, are pretty important to know when you're doing that utilization. So my next question is, is how does AI fit into your business model? So for us, machine learning is extremely important in helping us scale the business and ensure that we're able to provide automation where traditionally there's a lot of human intervention. So I'll give you a few examples. One example is in the assessment of the quality of the imagery that we get through our platform. So uh, traditionally, when satellite imagery is downlinked to the ground and then processed, there's usually someone at a customer support desk that looks at the image before they ship it out to the customer. Well, in a fully programmatic and fully automated world, uh, that doesn't work well uh, even at a small scale. And so one of, the, one of the areas where we've had to really invest in is in building a machine learning model that can automatically detect and score and index the quality of every image that goes through our platform. So the model looks for, um, looks for things like the sharpness of the image. If there's any blurriness, it looks for capture angle, it looks for weather, it looks for potentially even missing data in, in the product itself, uh, along with a number of other factors. So that's one area, you know, ensuring that the quality of the imagery we're able to assess as it goes through the, the, the platform at a large scale and at a fast volume. A uh, second, uh, second area would be uh, in the area of cloud detection. So uh, traditionally, uh, people have been able to cut out or mask clouds in a satellite image using uh, desktop technologies um, that, a, that a human being is, is at a desktop computer doing. Uh, again, not a system or a process that will scale well. And so we've, we've invested a lot of money into developing machine learning models uh, some of the best in the world, and, and we think by the end of this year will be the best in the world, at automatically detecting uh, a cloud in a satellite image and being able to either remove it or ensure that there's a proper mask uh, attributed to it. And um, it's not as simple of a problem as you would think. Uh, sometimes it's really hard, even with the human eye, to determine the difference between a cloud and maybe just snow on the ground or the cloud and a, and, and a the very bright reflectance of a beach. It's, um, it's, extremely, it's an extremely difficult problem and, and why traditionally human beings have been used to, to do this. But uh, we think we're, you know, we have an automated solution right now that we think is one of the best in the world. And, and by the end of this year, the amount of investment we're putting into this area, uh, Skywatch should have the best cloud detection uh, in the market. And then another area I think it, which we touched on before is, again, it's the optimization, it's the, the automated tasking and the optimization of space of these assets, or the the, uh, the optimization of the utilization of these space assets, uh, space assets, and Skywatch, you know, I think is it plays a very important role in that ecosystem because we're aggregating all of these various requests from customers at a very fast pace, in high volume and in high number. Uh, we have a responsibility to ensure that we can properly figure out which satellite is best suited to capture every single. 
um, request that comes in. And that involves a lot of machine learning. Again, it's not something that you can do um, even at a, at a small scale with, with human intervention. It's something that requires machine intelligence. And so that's another area where, where we're investing pretty, pretty heavily. All right. I've got one last question. Um, uh, you know, I, I was thinking about your company and thinking about the other Canadian startups that are out there. And, you know, with your raise, you join a handful of startups in the last five years or so that have raised significant uh, initial funded related to satellite data products. This includes Earthcast, GHGSAT, Northstar Earth and Space, and Kepler Communications, all with a little bit of variance, but all you know, with data uh, as, a, as a theme. So, uh, and there seems to be more data startups in their early stages in Canada. And of course, you know, we'll talk, I'm not gonna talk globally at this point, but just in Canada. So mm-hmm. is there a reason there are so many Canadian data startups. Is it simply because of the current downstream opportunities or, or is there something else in Canada that is making people focus on, on the data? Uh, that's a good question. Um, the, uh, I think particularly with Canada, I mean, if we were to, to go back to the list of Canadian companies that you mentioned there that are in the space ecosystem, we are the only ones, we are the only company out of that group that is not uh, actually putting an asset into space, but largely focused on, on building the software layer that utilizes them. Um, but you're right in that most of them have data at, their, at, at the core of why they do what they do. I think there's, I think, you know, the amount of activity we see in Canada is relatively proportional to the amount of activity we're seeing in other um, technology hubs that, uh, that that are focused on or, or building data products. And I think it's just largely what you see across the technology sector. You, you largely see an opportunity um, or a realization that that data is the new oil. I think it's actually, you know, the analogy is becoming more frequent, but I think it's a really, it's a really good one. Um, and, you know, what, what we try to do and what some of the other companies you mentioned are trying to do is we're trying to build the infrastructure that is going to, some are capturing that oil, some are processing that oil, and some are distributing that oil. And if you can't do those components right, then it's hard to build an industry. It's hard to build the plastics companies. It's hard to build, you know, the, the tire manufacturer. It's hard to build all of these assets and all of these companies and all of these markets that rely on that oil. Um, and I think that's, that is a, a realization that you know, we had as a company and that I think others that are working on this problem had, which is in order to actually see Earth observation, uh, you know, a particular subsegment of a data market, but Earth observation specifically, in order to see that uh, industry grow to, to the point and, and to, uh, to sort of rival, I guess, you know, GPS, which is another space-based technology that, is, that has grown uh, tremendously over the last 20, uh, 20 years, for to see Earth observation reach those heights, I think there's, there's starting to become a realization. I think we've, all of us that have been working on this since the early days, understand that we got to do uh, the, the supply chain has to be built up first. The, the capturing has to be strong and plentiful. The processing has to be scalable and cheap and affordable. And then the distribution has to provide access. And the companies that you named there, 
and, and, and us included, we're all working on those problems. Um, and that's to enable then a future economy of companies that are going to build applications and services that utilize all the hard work we're putting in today into building and scaling this infrastructure up. It's interesting. I actually was going to ask you, is data the new oil? But then in doing my research, I, I read in a, in a myriad of places the people who say yes and the people who say no. So I said, yeah, maybe I, I won't go with that analogy. But anyway, I'm glad you, I, I'm glad you brought it up. I, I totally think it is. I think it's a great analogy, except and, and you know, it, it's actually it could be uh, a great analogy, even even um, ethically, because data can be used for good and it can also be used for harm much, much similar to, to oil. All right. Well, thank you, James, for giving us some of your time today to, to bring us up to date on what it is you're doing and why it's important. We'll catch up with you, um, hopefully, maybe later at the end of the year when you've got some uh, news as you bring out some new uh, TerraStream customers. Of course. And nonetheless, I hope to, to see you uh, soon in person. Uh, hopefully at uh, an event in Canada. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. Well, that's a wrap on this podcast. If you have comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at spaceq.ca. I read and answer all your comments in a timely fashion. You can also find SpaceQ on Twitter at Canada in Space, and we post all our articles and podcasts to Facebook. Regardless of which app you use to listen to us, we'd really appreciate it if you could rate our podcast and write a review. Of course, that's only if you like us. Your rating and review will help us in getting the podcast widely listened to. And hey, if you like what we do, please support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash spaceq. Lastly, if you haven't listened to the latest episode of our new podcast, Terranauts, what are you waiting for? Host Ian Christie is a natural interviewer who knows how to tease good stories from those who work every day in space, but don't go to space. Terranauts is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite app. Listen to it now. Thank you, and we'll see you next week.